All right, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's get started here tonight. Um, so a number of questions, obviously, in regards to holiness and this idea or this concept of being holy. Uh, wanted to begin, I just wanted to get a couple responses tonight. What comes to your mind when you think of the word holy or you hear be holy? What do you think of? What comes to mind? Pure. Okay, I thought you said beer at first. So, <laughs> pure beer. <laughs> be, be beer. Um, so be pure. Okay, be pure. Very good. What else comes to your mind? Be set apart. Okay, so remove from that which is evil, right? Be set apart unto the Lord. Uh, good. What else? So, I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Yeah. So sold out to God completely. Um, so to be pure, to be set apart, to be sold out to God completely, yes. Okay, high and lifted. God as the holy God is high and lifted up, right? So we would give praise, honor, and glory to God as the holy God who is high and lifted up. Not so much for ourselves personally to be high and lifted up, but for him to be high and lifted up, right? And so part of the reason we pursue holiness or we want to be holy as God is holy is so that God is glorified. And so that should be stirring within us. Um, the second question, I'm not going to ask you to respond out loud because if you say yes to this, then you're a prideful human being. Um, but do you consider yourself to be holy, right? Uh, hopefully all of us would say through the strength and power that God gives and through the spirit of God working in our lives that we are set apart to the Lord and that we are seeking to be pure before God and holy, uh, set apart for the Lord's use. Um, but obviously all of us uh, in our own sin left to ourselves do not have an ounce of holiness within us apart from Christ, right? So any holiness that is within us, any righteousness that is within us isn't at our own doing but at the doing of the Lord. And, and number three is more of the one I wanted to kind of to focus on for a second is what hinders our holiness? Okay, I want you to think about that. What, what were some responses that you gave to that? What hinders holiness? Okay, okay desires of the flesh, our sin nature. Someone said ourselves over here. Yeah. Wayne? Okay, so not walking in the spirit, not living and cultivating the spirit of God in our lives. Someone said something over here. Mother, mother-in-laws. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, someone said that goes with the beer. In case you missed that, um, yeah, Steve. Pride. Um, so, listen, we we could spend probably a good portion of the night tonight just listing all the things that hinders our holiness. Um, from those things that are outside of our control to those things that we willfully pursue. Um, oftentimes, as believers in Christ, though, we are hindered in our pursuit of holiness and in our setting of ourselves apart unto the Lord through the strength that God gives. Um, number five and number six, I think, are more personal questions for you to think through. Who do you know that you consider to be holy and why, and would you make anyone's list? That um, can be a quite convicting question um, when you think through how do people perceive uh, you as it relates to as a child of God and as you are set apart or not unto the Lord. Um, and someone probably came to your mind when you read that question of who do you consider to be holy? 
and, and stood out to you and for various reasons, but I wonder what would be true of our lives. Now, that question of what others consider ourselves to consider us to be holy is, I think, a good segue into the passage that we're going to look at tonight, which is in Daniel chapter 6. And so you can turn there. Right away when people think of Daniel chapter 6, um, if you know the story of Daniel and you're familiar with Daniel, right away what most people associate with Daniel's chapter 6 is Daniel and the lion's den, right? Uh, that's what people normally associate and remember about Daniel chapter 6. As a matter of fact, the heading in your Bible most likely, even above uh, the chapter heading, is that this is Daniel and the lion's den. That's what that uh, heading is going to say in your Bibles most likely, and that's what most people focus on. And if you actually jump down, starting in verse 15, um, you're going to get the account of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. We're not going there tonight. We're actually going to jump back to chapter 6, verse 1, and look through verse 14 tonight. Next week, as we wrap up our series, wrap up our study, is when we're going to hit verse 15 and following as we look at Daniel in the lion's den. But before we can get there, I want us to have this backdrop of information and understanding of how Daniel ends up in the lion's den. And so that's where I felt it was so appropriate for us to look at Daniel chapter 6 with an understanding and mindset towards holiness. And the question of would others looking at our lives put us into the category of those that they would consider to be holy. Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20.26, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. 1 Peter 1.15 and 16, Peter's recounting this, and he says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, to be holy, what that literally means, if you're going to translate and, and understand the word usage that's there, when God calls us to be holy as he is holy, it means to be consecrated. It means to be a saint, to be morally blameless, to be set apart. We are consecrated or set apart unto the Lord. We are set apart from sin, from evil, from that which is, is uh, displeasing to God and set apart for God's use, set apart or consecrated unto the Lord, to be used of him, to serve him, uh, to be his people. And God has made us in Christ holy. He has made us in Christ righteous in his sight. But there's this calling on the life of the believer, similar to the calling that was on life of the nation of Israel, the people of the nation of Israel, to be holy as their God is holy. So too, and Peter reemphasizes this, we are to be holy as God is holy. And so this isn't one of those situations where you're like, yeah, you know what, I just don't want to be holy, and that's fine. It's not fine, right? There, there's a lot of things in life that we can say, well, I don't necessarily want to pursue that. That's not necessarily something I'm interested in, and there's many areas where that's okay. In the area of holiness, it doesn't matter whether or not we want to be holy or want to pursue it. We're called to be holy, and so we have to remove our own personal pride, our own personal emotions, our own personal desires from this reality that our God who is holy has called us to be holy as he is holy. And this idea of being separate, of being set apart, of being consecrated as unto the Lord, I think should hold so much value and weight in our minds as we consider how God wants us to live. Now, this entire series that we've been looking at, we've been looking at how Daniel and his friends have been standing firm in their relationship with, uh, with God, standing firm in their faith, 
in the midst of a collapsing culture, an evil culture that they found themselves living in, where truthfully, the culture that they found themselves living in as captives was not a culture that was holy unto the Lord. It was the direct opposite of that. And we've been seeing that so far as we've been in this study, and we're going to see that again. It's going to continue in the study. Now, we've also already established that Daniel would be considered one who was holy, one who was, the Bible would even describe him as being righteous. Back in Ezekiel chapter 14, if you remember, we looked at that in week one, where Daniel's name is specifically mentioned along with Noah and Job, these three men, Noah, Job, and Daniel, were mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 14 two different times as men who were righteous in the sight of God. That's a pretty significant company, right, that Daniel found himself listed in. But Daniel would fit the category of one who was holy and righteous, set apart unto the Lord. Daniel was set apart for God's usage, and we've seen that. Daniel was set apart from the evil that was prevalent and going on in the day and age in which he found himself living. And today, men, here's the reality. We too must be men who in the midst of a culture that is so far removed from God and the things of God, we too must be men who are set apart unto the Lord as holy in the present day and age we find ourselves living in. Now, as we looked at these areas of hindrances, as you discuss it at your table, I hope those can serve as reminders of those things that we must be proactively removing from our lives in order that we might be holy before the Lord and pursue holiness before him. So tonight, I want us to look at Daniel chapter 6, and I want us to be challenged with this area of being holy, of be holy as God is holy. Now, let me get us caught up as we jump into chapter 6 with what's happening uh, leading up to chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is king. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's son. And this is about 20 years after uh, Nebuchadnezzar has died, his son Belshazzar is reigning in his stead in Daniel chapter 5. And there's a big shifting of events that's going to take place. Belshazzar is going to have a dream. And he's going to call all of the uh, astrologers and magicians and wise men to interpret this dream. And as was the case before, they couldn't interpret it for him. And his wife or one of his wives or concubines, one of them says to him, call Daniel, this, this Hebrew who has the spirit of God in him, and he can interpret your dream for you. And so that's what happens. Daniel comes, interprets the dream for for, uh, Belshazzar. He interprets the dream for Belshazzar, and he lets him know what's happening. He says, God really has brought your kingdom to an end. And your kingdom and and the lands are going to be handed over uh, to another. And in Daniel chapter 5, verses 29 to 31, we read after Daniel interpreted this dream that Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So don't miss this. Belshazzar's king, Daniel tells Belshazzar, your kingdom is coming to an end. God is giving it to another, uh, and we're going to see that fulfilled in just a second. And after he interprets this dream rightly, the king, as promised, made Daniel the third ruler in his kingdom. It's a pretty significant part that Daniel was elevated to this position within his kingdom. Now, verse 30 says, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So you see this dramatic shift that takes place in Daice Daniel chapter 5. Darius the Mede is now king. 
Belshazzar the king was killed, just as Daniel said would take place. The Medo-Persian army would come in and they would conquer, and Daniel's dream would be fulfilled. Daniel's inter- I'm sorry, Daniel's interpretation would be fulfilled, just as he said it would. The kingdom would be divided and be given to the Medes and Persians. That's contextually what's happening as we jump into chapter 6 tonight. Okay, A shift. Darius the Mede is king. Belshazzar is dead. Daniel was elevated to a position of authority prior to the king uh, being killed, and now Darius the Mede is ruling. Let's pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. You can follow along. It says, It pleased Darius, again, the new king, to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps, or satraps, you can pronounce that how you'd like, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps gave account, or should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the king is not going to be able to rescue Daniel, okay? Next week, and you come back next week for our final week of this, we're going to see that the king would be unsuccessful in his attempt to rescue Daniel, and Daniel would, in fact, face... Uh, being thrown into this lion's den. But as we look at this tonight, I want us to be challenged to be holy, to be set apart. And specifically, I want to highlight five areas that we see were true for Daniel that I believe need to be true for you and I if we are going to be set apart unto the Lord in the current culture we find ourselves living in. So five challenges in regards to being holy, being set apart if we're living in this culture we find ourselves living in, that I believe we see very clearly was true of Daniel's life. Okay, first one is this. Be set apart from the status quo. Be set apart from the status quo. 
Uh, what I mean by that is to be set apart from what everyone else is just doing, what everyone else is accomplishing, what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is participating in. Be set apart from the status quo. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps or satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Understand this structure for a moment. You have King Darius. King Darius then appoints or has below him in his structure of governance 120 satraps or princes that are going to help throughout all of the land. They're responsible throughout the land. Uh, over those 120 satraps are three, princes, or three governors, your translation might say, or high officials to whom those satraps would give an account to. This is his way of accounting and not losing anything and making sure everything's accounted for. So the structure is Darius, King Darius, the three governors or, or high officials, and then the 120 satraps underneath them that are spread throughout the land. Now the passage tells us that Daniel happened to be one of those three governors or high officials in that ranking. If you remember back to chapter 5, right before Daniel uh, had his king, Belshazzar, killed, Daniel was promoted, right? He was promoted to the third ruler in the kingdom. The king then was killed. Well, that promotion just happened to happen at the exact right time because then as King Darius came in, no doubt, same as if you're coming into any institution or any situation, you find out who are the leaders here, who are the ones that are in charge, who are the ones that have oversight, and you're either going to get rid of them if they're not people you want or you're going to keep them because they're valuable to you. Well, this is what the king did. The king comes in, Darius the Mede, he comes in, and Daniel's one of those three in the kingdom, the ruler, and he puts him as one of the governors or one of those high officials amongst the three. But it doesn't stop there. Because the passage says in verse 3 that Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps. It says that he became distinguished. Daniel became distinguished above all others. So there was something about Daniel that caused Daniel to be distinguished above everyone else. And not just the 120. Daniel, who was one of three, becomes distinguished above all of them. Every one of them. So much so that if you read in verse 3 that Darius the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So look again at the structure. You have King Darius. You have the three governors, the high officials. You have the 120 below them. These three have quite a bit of authority and power. But King Darius is thinking about adding a different position. The king, Daniel, and everybody else. Now, do you see how this could start to brew some tension amongst the ranks as they get wind or hear about this? Something's being stirred up here, right? And we're going to look at that in just a minute. We're going to see some things that started to transpire as a result of this. But I do not want us to overlook what is said of Daniel here. Daniel is distinguished above all others, and it says that Daniel had an excellent spirit within him. He was distinguished above all others because he had an excellent spirit within him, so much so that the king noticed. Have you ever been to a restaurant 
or even to a fast food place, and when someone gets your order right, or they are competent in how they handle the situation, you think, man, that person was incredible tonight. Because you're so used to everybody else not being competent. Have you ever had that happen? Where you go through and if someone treats you with respect, if someone looks in the eye when they talk to you, if someone is able to present themselves in a respectful way, they stand out head and shoulders above the rest because nobody else is doing that. So when you find someone who is doing that, they stand out to you. When you find someone who is respectful, who is competent, who is responsible, who is someone who knows how to handle themselves, you think, man, that person's incredible. Well, it's not necessarily that they were incredible, but everybody else is so not incredible that they seem to be incredible, okay? We're familiar with what that means. But here's what's very interesting about Daniel in this passage, is that those individuals that were serving in these capacities, they were competent. Because they were put into positions of authority for a purpose and a reason. And if they couldn't fulfill that, they weren't needed. But even more than them was Daniel. Distinguished above all else. And it says because he had an excellent spirit within him. Daniel so stood out, was so far set apart from everyone else. And what everyone else was doing that it could not be ignored. Think of that. An excellent spirit, Daniel was said in chapter 5 and earlier on during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, that he had the spirit of God within him. Unlike all of the others, Daniel stood out. He was set apart. Do you realize, men, that what we too have been called to as believers in Jesus Christ is to be set apart from the mundane, the average, the depraved, Those that are wicked in this world, we are to shine as lights in a darkened world. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It should be crystal clear to anybody who sees, watches, or interacts with our lives that we are not like everyone else. That should not be able to be hidden. We should be so set apart from what is the norm in this world that it cannot be ignored. And notice with Daniel, why was Daniel distinguished above everyone else? Because of the excellent spirit that was in him, it says. Isn't that what should be said of you and I as well? Not look at how incredible we are, but how incredible our God is. What our God has done. Who our God is. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and applaud you and exalt you and make much of you. No, it says they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are called to be set apart. Set apart from what everyone else is doing that does not know Christ. Set apart from those that do not know God. And yet, isn't it true for many of us It is very easy just to kind of fly under the radar in the world in which we live. We should be flying above that. We should be set apart from all that is within the world. Colossians chapter 3, 
Paul is writing to bond servants and he says, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The attitude and perspective I believe that we see very prevalent in Daniel's life from beginning to end of his of his life that we are recorded and being able to see is that Daniel was doing all that he did as unto the Lord and not unto men. And he was set apart. He was distinguished above all others. Secondly, be set apart from corruption. Look at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. <laughs> Think about this for a second. They, they were looking for something. They were looking for anything, okay? It says that they, you know, obviously this is shared right after it, sh- it said that the king had set in his heart to put him over the whole kingdom. Okay, obviously, if you're going to put someone in charge of the whole kingdom, there's things that have to be done. Okay, it says the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then, so knowing that, it says then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel in regard to the kingdom. So it only makes sense that the reason they're trying to find fault against Daniel in regards to the kingdom is because the king's planning to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. You see how that works? There's jealousy, there's envy, there's all of that. There's hatred that's being seen here. But Daniel was set apart from corruption. These were corrupt individuals, and we're going to see that play out here in just a moment, who were trying to find, and even if necessary, come up with something that could fault Daniel before the king to remove him from this position. Now, when political seasons come around, elections come around, we have an election coming up in, in 2022, pretty significant election coming up, people will have candidates that come from all over, and people will say that they're going to find the skeletons in their closet, right? You've heard that before. Everyone has those skeletons in their closet, right? Everyone has the skeletons in the closet. That's the phrase that's always used. That is no doubt what they were hoping to accomplish and find with Daniel. But here was the problem. They could not find anything. They could not find anything. All of them together were conspired here. All of them were corrupt. All of them were together, the high officials and the satraps. It says the high officials and satraps. Now, I believe that's all of them. And the reason I believe that's all of them is because later on in the passage, they're going to come to the king and say, all of us have come to an agreement. All of us. So they're all coming to this conclusion, we need to destroy Daniel. They were corrupt. And it says that they sought the fine ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find it. They could not find any fault against him. And it says that they found no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. It's like repeated. Okay, I love this, how this is recorded for us. It says that they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Okay, it's like a double repetitive thing here. No error, no fault, no fault, no error. There was nothing. Nothing. You know what this tells me? This tells me that Daniel, for the entirety of the time that he was in a position of authority and power, was completely set apart from corruption. Because if he was corrupt in any way in his past, they would have found it. If Daniel compromised in any way, they would have found it. If Daniel made promises, 
That if you do this, I'll do this. If there was anything that was not above board that Daniel did, they would have found it. And they could find nothing. Nothing. Because Daniel was set apart, completely set apart from corruption. You've heard it said, you've heard it said about the skeletons in people's closets. That if you really know who people are when no one's around, that tells you what their character is like. That tells you about their integrity. When they went to try to find out what was in Daniel's closet, all they found was holiness. That Daniel was set apart completely from corruption. Now, naturally, it leads me to the question as, as I ask this tonight, of what about you and I? What would people find if they wanted to dig up us? What would they find? What would they find? If they looked hard enough, what would they find? He was distinguished above all others, it says here. An excellent spirit, faithful, no fault, no error, no ground for complaint or any fault. And they were searching and they were looking and they found nothing. He was completely set apart from corruption entirely, unlike these men. Even unlike those wise men, astrologers, magicians, that King Nebuchadnezzar would catch on when he would ask him to interpret a dream and he would say, no, 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 I'm not gonna tell you what the dream is. I want you to tell me what the dream was because you're trying to trick me. So if you're really able to tell me the interpretation, you should be able to tell me the dream as well. We looked at that in the past. They were corrupt. They were fake. They were false. And that's what they hoped would be true of Daniel, but they found a direct opposite. Men, we too who love the Lord, must be set apart from the corruption that is in the world. This translates over into our workplace. This translates over into our financial and business dealings, our families, our relationships with our wife, our children. Are we set apart from the corruption that is in the world? What do people who know us best know about us that others don't know? they would do a deep dive look at Daniel, leaving no stone unturned, and they had nothing. He was set apart from the corruption that was in the world. Number three, he was set apart from the crowd that hated God. We too must be set apart from the crowd that hates God. Look at verses five to seven. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions." Be set apart from the crowd that hates God. These were haters of God and men that hated Daniel as well. I want you to think of this. Think of this decree, okay? Let, let's think of this decree for a moment. They try to find out fault against Daniel and they can't find any. So they come to a conclusion. The only way that we are possibly gonna be able to find fault against Daniel is if we find it in regards to his God his commitment, his relationship, his service of his God. That's the only way. So how can we find fault against Daniel if it's going to be against him and his relationship and his service, his holiness to his God? How can we find fault against him? And so they conspired and came up with a plan. Now, what's going to unfold here is pretty dramatic, and it's a pretty detailed, pretty significant thing that's about to happen. 
Okay, if you look at what I just read again uh, in verses 5 to 7, there's this decree that they're going to ask this king to make, and they're going to ask him to sign this petition, this decree, about something that was going to have an impact immediately across the whole land. But first, let's understand the whole reason for the decree. Why did these governors and satraps, all 122 total of them, go to the king with this decree? Okay? Years ago, my daughter, Ella, when she was very young, she was probably, I want to say she might have been four or five years old. We were in our house, and I was sitting, and I was watching something on the TV, and Ella was in our, our kind of like family room area, and she came walking through the living room area where I was to go into the kitchen. And when she came into the kitchen, she had her hands behind her back. And she, she walked through the living room, and I caught her out of the corner of my eye walking, and she was walking kind of suspiciously. She had her hands behind her back, and she was looking at me smiling with her hands behind her back. And then she went back into the, the family room. Did this, okay. She did the same thing again. So I'm sitting on the couch, and I notice her just kind of quietly smiling with her hands behind her back, walking into the kitchen, and then she walked back into the family room. And she did that several times. And so the final time that she did it, I noticed that as she was walking into the kitchen, she did it again. And this time when she was walking back, her hands were not empty. She had a pair of scissors in her hands. She was doing some practice runs so that I would notice her walking in and walking out, walking in and walking out. But on the final time she did it, she walked in. She walked out with scissors in her hands behind her back, hoping that I wouldn't notice that. Now, for a moment, as a father, you see that, and you kind of feel kind of proud, like, wow, that's a brilliant kid that they would know to do that. Like, for a minute, you want to almost be like, wow, honey, I can't believe you thought of that. But the reality was she was trying to be purposely deceptive and went to some pretty great lengths to achieve that deception so that she could get what she wants. She made several trial runs in hopes that I wouldn't notice the final time that she was trying to take those scissors that she knew she wasn't allowed to have. Okay? That's what's going on in this passage. Everything that we're about to see transpire with King Darius is in an attempt to what? Destroy Daniel. Everything that they're about to ask the king to do, everything is for one purpose. It's to get what they want. It's to destroy Daniel. And it says that they go to King Darius and they say, oh, king, live Forever. I want you to think about what they tell the king here. O king, live forever. We want you to make a decree, O king. We want you to make a decree. And basically what the decree is this, is for the next 30 days, king, you alone are God. I want you to think about that. For the next 30 days, we want you to make this decree that if anybody prays to any other God other than to you, O king, he'll be thrown into the den of lions. What they're doing is coming to this king, very powerful king. And in those days, obviously those days and present days, when people are in positions of power and authority, it gets to their head. They're prideful about it. All of us probably in some ways are guilty of that if we're given any kind of authority that sometimes is something we have to deal with. The kings in the Old Testament time period, the kings during these ruling periods, these were men who had huge egos, who were all about themselves. And here this King Darius is having all of his governors and satraps come to him and they're all in agreement which is a lie because Daniel was not in agreement, but they said they all were. They come to the king and they say, oh, king, live forever. King, you're the greatest king. You're awesome. There's no one like you, king. Live forever, king. You know, it's the chant of king, king. They're doing this thing to Darius, and they say, king, here's what we're going to tell you to do. Create this decree. 
That no one is allowed to pray to any other God but you for 30 days. And if they go against you, king, they're thrown into the den of lions. They're telling this king, you're God for 30 days. No other God is to be prayed to. No other God is to be worshipped here. For 30 days, it is you. And they come to the king and they tell him this, live forever. Make this decree. Any Man that would pray to any other god or man for 30 days except to you shall be cast into the den of lions. Now a king established the injunction, signed the document, that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. You see what they're doing here? They're going to this king, proclaiming him to make himself as God for 30 days. Sign into law. Something that will affect all of the land. Everybody within the land for 30 days. That cannot be revoked. Why? Because they knew they could not find fault against Daniel unless they found it in regards to his relationship with his God. Everything that's transpiring here is with the backdrop of these rulers wanting to destroy Daniel. Now they go to the king and they say to the king, verse 7, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed. That's a lie. Daniel, who was one of the three governors, was not in agreement with them. Daniel could not be included in that list. Daniel was completely set apart. Completely set apart from all that those who were haters of God and haters of Daniel were seeking to accomplish and do here. I wonder, what about us? Are we set apart from any movement, any group, any organization, any group of people that are set on their opposition to our God? Or do we just go along? Or do we just participate blindly? God has called us to be holy, to be set apart from that which would be displeasing to his great name. Daniel was. Number four, be set apart from anything or anyone that seeks to take glory away from God. Again, verses seven and nine, there's this decree that they're asking and what they're petitioning is that God would receive no glory, no prayer, no recognition. Instead, all of that would be directed to the king. And again, the only reason they were asking this was because they wanted to find fault with Daniel. Whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, will be cast into the den of lions. In essence, again, they're telling the king, you are God for 30 days. They're deifying him. They're deifying him. Now, it says in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians that it cannot be revoked. And this is also something that's mentioned in the book of Esther. Previously, under Babylonian rule, when you see King Nebuchadnezzar, who was in charge, King Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. If you remember, the decree that King Nebuchadnezzar made was that when he, he constructed this image, that anyone who would not bow down and worship this gold image that he would set up would be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Well, you remember what happened in that story that we covered when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that fiery furnace, and there was a fourth, like the Son of God, that was with them, and the king yelled and had them come out of the fire, and he immediately revoked his own 
you know, his own law and saying, if anyone worships any other God than the law of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? There was this instant change that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, made in response to what he saw. Well, under Babylonian rule, the king was in a position as an absolute monarch where he could do what he wanted to do, decree what he wanted to decree, undo what he wanted to undo, and there was going to be no questions asked. He had that authority. But under the Medo-Persian law and under the law that they had, that was not the case, It becomes very clear that when there became something written into law in Medo-Persian law, that was something that could not be undone. That's repeated twice, not only in the book of Esther, but then here in the book of Daniel. This was something that could not be undone. The king himself, Darius, did not have the authority and power to undo what he was about to write into law. That's pretty significant because the king knew that, but you know who else knew that? was everybody that was trying to conspire against Daniel. And so here's what I find very interesting about this, is that once Daniel, or once the king would set this in the law, it could not be undone. He didn't have the authority and power to do that. So the evil that is at work here is, cannot be overstated. This was a law that no doubt would have far-reaching effects, not just to those governors and rulers and satraps, and to Daniel and to the king, but to everyone in that land. These rulers knew that Darius favored Daniel. They wanted Daniel out. So what did they do? They trapped the king. They tied his hands. The king loved Daniel. The king was going to put Daniel in charge of everything. He was going to put him over the entire kingdom. They knew that. So what did they do? Well, they couldn't trap Daniel unless it was against his God. So what did they do? They tied the hands of the king. Do you see what they've done here? Do you see how significant like, the working of this is? How intricate this is? The plan that's unfolding here, they would go so far as to have the king that was ruling over them write something into law that would affect everybody in all of their lands because of one man that they wanted to destroy. One man that they wanted to destroy. And this is what they were doing. They knew they could never find fault with Daniel. He was solid as a rock. So they went about it another way. Tie the hands of the king. Now here's what I find is so interesting and this is pretty significant in my opinion. They were so confident that Daniel was set apart from anything that would go contrary to the law of his God that they knew that they would catch Daniel violating this command. Why don't you think about that? All of their eggs were in one basket. Here was their basket to destroy Daniel. We're going to make it so that the king writes a decree that if anybody prays to any other God or man apart from you, O king, for 30 days, they're thrown into the den of lions. The entire motivation for doing that was them trying to destroy Daniel. That's very clear in the passage. But here's what this tells us. Those that knew Daniel and searched out his life knew that he was so set apart from those that were haters of God And from those that dishonored and did not know God, so set apart in his service to God that there was zero doubt in their mind that if the king wrote this decree, it would have zero effect in hindering Daniel from serving and praying to his God. Do you see that? This is the testimony, the character that Daniel had amongst these evil men. That was his testimony and character. Don't miss, I mean, I know I'm I'm repeating some of this. I don't want us to miss how significant this is. All of that conspiring, planning, working, manipulating the very king that was over them 
was for one point and purpose to destroy Daniel. And everything was hinging on the fact that Daniel, even when that decree was made, that Daniel would remain faithful. They wholeheartedly believed in Daniel. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they're thinking of this as a fault, right? They're thinking of this as something like this Daniel. They even refer to him as this, this Daniel. But this is how firmly they believed and had faith in Daniel. Even if faced with being thrown into a den of lions, this guy's not budging. Might that be said of you and I? That we are so set apart from anything or anyone that seeks to take glory away from our God. So set apart as unto the Lord that people who know us know no matter what comes, we will not budge. We will not falter. I don't know, but that's, that's pretty convicting that these evil men had such faith and confidence in Daniel that he would stay the course, that he would not falter, that he would not bend his knee to the decree even that would be coming from the king. This whole charade, this whole plan, this whole decree, the whole effort, everything was on that solid rock belief about Daniel. It's incredible. Number five, be set apart even when you know it may cost you greatly. So after all these things have happened, the king signs this decree. He signs the decree that no one is to pray to any other god or man for 30 days or they'll be thrown into the den of lions. Look at what it says, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Okay, again, this is something that would be very easy. We read the passage, you'd be like, Daniel knew the document was signed, move on. This is pretty significant because the passage makes something abundantly clear. When Daniel was going to pray three times, as was his custom, Daniel had full understanding and knowledge of what that meant. He knew the document had been signed. Here's the other thing that's interesting about this is we, we don't read of, of Daniel petitioning the king, trying to stop the king from what he was doing. Right? So there was such an agreement amongst the mob that was approaching this king that Daniel recognized and realized, okay, this is going to happen. And it says, when the document was signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. Okay, I I look at this and think, this is incredible to me. It says, he got down on his knees, as was his custom, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously, or as was his custom since early days. Some translations say that. Daniel was now, they believe, in his 80s. 80s was taken into captivity in his teenage years. He had a lifetime of service to the Lord in the midst of constant corruption, evil, and all sorts of filth. And just as his custom has always been, in the face of a decree that would forbid him from praying to his God, he went up into his room, got down on his knees, and prayed to his God and gave thanks as was his custom, or as he has always done. And that's incredible. It's incredible. 
says these men, verse 11, came by agreement. Isn't this incredible? Like these evil, they're always together. They all came together. They came by agreement. They came by agreement, it says, verse 11. Found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew they would find Daniel making his petition and plea before his God. They knew it. That's why they made this decree. If you look at the decree that they asked the king, why prayer? <laughs> Think about it. Why, why, O king, make a petition that if anybody prays to any God or man apart from you, O king, you'll be thrown into it. Why prayer? Well, they did all this research on Daniel. I mean, they had surveillance on Daniel. And you know what they found when they surveyed Daniel? That he consistently, daily, would be praying on his knees to his God. And here's what I find so amazing. Again, this reiterates what I said earlier about their confidence in Daniel. As soon as the decree was made and Daniel knew it and he went to his home, guess what those that were wanting to accuse him did? They went to his home. Why? Why do you think they went to his home? What were they expecting to find? They were expecting to find Daniel praying in his home. Again, decree, you'll be thrown in the dead of lions if you pray to anybody. Yes, the decree has been made. Let's go to Daniel's house because they were fully confident they would find Daniel praying just as he always did, regardless of the decree that this king just signed into law. Isn't that incredible? I look at that and think, that's absolutely phenomenal. The confidence that these guys had that Daniel would be doing exactly what he felt he needed to do before his God. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. I mean, this is huge. Nothing changed about Daniel's commitment to God. Nothing changed about what Daniel was doing in service to his God. Because God does not change. His commands to us. His word does not change. And obviously as men living today in what I believe all of us would agree wholeheartedly is a corrupt, evil, sinful world in which we find ourselves living in. In a culture that has embraced an anti-God, completely anti-God, anti-word of God, anti-truth, anti-authority of God in our culture that has completely embraced an anti-God agenda, authority, and culture, here we sit, stand, kneel, find ourselves as those that would call ourselves servants of the Most High God. And then here's the problem. If our conduct is dictated by the culture we find ourselves living in rather than on the truth of God's word, we are in error and we are failing as followers of Christ. Because the reality is God's word is eternal. And no matter what culture says, what man says, or what evil men who hate God and will hate you say or says, we must not change. We must not change as followers of Christ based upon what others deem is appropriate or not appropriate. We must remain firmly committed and set apart as unto the Lord. Daniel's conduct would not change here at great cost. Daniel was set apart unto the Lord, knowing that it would cost him greatly. I wonder, how do we respond? How do we respond in the midst of a culture 
where standing for Jesus Christ may cost us greatly. How do we stand for Christ at our places of employment and work? How do we stand for Christ in our homes, with our families, with our friends, in our churches, in our communities? How do we stand for Christ in the midst of a culture that calls that which is evil good and that which is good evil? How does our conduct get affected? How do we change in our dedication and commitment to the Lord based upon what the culture deems is appropriate or inappropriate? Are we set for the defense of the gospel? Are we so committed, so set apart unto the Lord that even those that are enemies and haters of God and enemies and haters of you and I know we will not be able to find fault against them unless it is in their service to their God? Are they set and do they know and have confidence that you and I, no matter what may come, we will not yield and compromise because of our commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I find it absolutely astonishing, remarkable that these men showed up at Daniel's house following this decree, 100% expecting they would find Daniel on his knees, as was his custom, praying to his God. Absolutely phenomenal to me that these evil men knew without any shadow of a doubt. They put their own lives on the line believing that this is going to be the case for Daniel. And here it is. Here it is. I find it interesting when it talks about Daniel being on his knees three times in the midst of this great trial. It says Daniel was making petition and plea before his God. It says he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Again, even in the midst of what was going on, it says Daniel was giving thanks to his God. I know for us that seems so ridiculous when we think about giving thanks in the midst of this. But isn't that the pattern that we see all throughout scripture? That when the apostles were beaten, Acts chapter 5, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name, right? Paul the apostle telling us it's been given to us on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but to suffer for him. Jesus promised if the world hates me, it will also hate you. A servant is not above his master. Tony Short shared with us a number of weeks ago when he shared in that get real session. Remember that? Get real. Be real. Get real. And he said, get real. Men, the world hates you and the world hates God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we will be hated because of our stance on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a promise from Christ. Are we set? Are we set apart from all that would be evil and seek to draw glory and honor away from our God, knowing that it may cost us greatly? Let me wrap up the passage for tonight. It says, they, these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. Again, what a bunch of weasels here. Isn't this, isn't this something that when you, when you read this and you think, these guys, I want to pound those guys. Like when you read this, they all, all of them, 122 of them gathered together to the king. Oh, king, live forever. We want you to make this decree. A bunch of weasels conspiring. The decree is made. Then they came by agreement. All of them came by agreement. They came to Daniel's house. Look, at that's what he's doing. And then it says, verse 12, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, didn't you sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? I mean, as I'm reading this and thinking about how they would be approaching the king, I'm thinking they are probably so excited. 
they are probably so excited. Their plan has worked. Their plans worked. In their mind, they're like, this is it. We've done it. We couldn't find anything against Daniel wrong. There's no corruption. There's nothing that he's done against the king or the kingdom. There's nothing that we can find fault against him for the kingdom. We've got to find it against his God. So what are we going to do? Brilliant plan. Make the king sign a law that he can't undo. And then when Daniel, which we know he will be serving and praying to his God, prays to his God, we got him. Lion's dead. Dead. Done. The king can do nothing. Daniel's his favorite. Doesn't matter because he can't do anything because the law of the Medes and Persians forbids it. So they go to the king. They're so excited. O king! Did you not sign an injunction? Anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast. king has no idea. The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah. One translation says, this Daniel, or that Daniel. Kind of in a condescending, point him out kind of way, like this Daniel. Daniel, oh king, there's one guy who hates you. There's one guy that is dishonoring you. You know who that is? Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Look at how they say this. Again, these words. What a bunch of snakes, right? What a bunch of, I mean, they, they come, they're all excited. Oh king, didn't you make this injunction? This Daniel, Look at what they say. Not that they don't say, this Daniel, we found him praying. No, what do they say? He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. They got him. They got him. Then the king, verse 14, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. This is an incredible, incredible verse. They come to the king, who's the most powerful individual in that land. With the individual that in that land, the king had the most respect and loved. And I know that because the king, it says was much distressed when he heard it was Daniel and he wanted to deliver Daniel and he labored. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. I mean, kings in those days, they weren't about laboring for other people. The king hears what these men have done and he is completely distraught. He's troubled. Much distressed, it says. And he wanted to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The king who was God for 30 days, how ironic, has no power to do anything about this. He has no power, no authority to rescue the person amongst that group that he cared for more than any of them. And he's powerless. And these evil men knew that. They knew that this king was absolutely powerless to help Daniel. But they missed something, didn't they? They were right, absolutely right about so much. These evil, 
conspiring, manipulative snakes were absolutely correct about so many things. Their plan worked. They were right about Daniel. He would not compromise. They were right about the king. He would be powerless. But they were entirely wrong about the God whom Daniel serves. They were entirely wrong about the God who Daniel serves. And I hope that as you are starting to maybe think about what is about to happen with Daniel being thrown into the den of lions, if you know that story, that in the midst of the pit in your stomach of I can't believe these men and the evil and the, the, the anger towards that, I hope what you have in the back of your mind is the reality of the God whom we serve is just far greater. And that's going to be on full display next week. <laughs> that's going to be on full display. They were right about Daniel. They were right about the king. They were entirely wrong about the God whom Daniel serves. I want to share with you today, men, it is no different in the day and age in which we live. The people that we find ourselves surrounding around us that are haters of God, that are haters of those that love God, that disregard anything that has to do with the glory of God, they are entirely wrong about our God. And they, just like these men, will find that out. They will find that out. The word of God tells us that. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you and I truly believe that, if we truly believe that, shouldn't we then be set apart unto our God rather than participating in the things of this world? Shouldn't we as men who truly believe that seek to be holy? even over seeking to be liked? Shouldn't we be seeking to be holy over seeking to be popular, successful, known, recognized? Seek to be holy as our God is holy. If we are doing that, we can stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture for the glory of God. I invite you to come back next week as we finish out this story. Verse 15 says, these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They come to the king and they remind the king yet again, king, this can't be changed. He's trying to, but it can't be changed. Verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. We'll stop there. Come back next week as we finish the story. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your love. And Father, we thank you that your word tells us that you have demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, those that were unholy, haters of God, enemies of God, strangers, foreigners, aliens, from any kind of relationship with you, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that you have made us alive through Christ. 
I pray, Lord, that we as men who desire to serve you well would seek to be holy as you are holy. Set apart. Set apart from the corruption that is in the world. Set apart from evil men. Set apart from anything or anyone that would seek to take glory away from you. God, that we would be set apart from you even in the midst of things that will cost us greatly, that we would be resolved and set apart unto you because you are deserving of that and you are deserving of all glory and praise. Give us the strength, Lord, we pray. Give us the boldness, the wisdom, and the strength to be set apart for you even as we go from here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.